At RWJ Barnabas Health, we have a passion for heart health. With the largest adult and pediatric cardiac surgery programs in the state, a heart transplant program that's top 15 in the nation, a partnership with Rutgers Health, the latest technology and medical advancements and nationally renowned care for every heart in every one of our communities. Whoever your heart beats for, our hearts beat for you. Let's be healthy together. Visit rwjbh.org heart. RWJ Barnabas Health, New Jersey's largest academic health care system and official health care provider of the New Jersey Devils. Let's be healthy together. Learn more at rwjbh.org. Speak of the Devils is supported by Riverside Oral Surgery, official partner of the New Jersey Devils. Hi again, everyone. I'm Matt Lockman, along with Sam Tassan. Welcome to another episode of Speak of the Devils, our podcast presented by our good friends at RWJ Barnabas Health. And we are very pleased, Sam, to be joined by Bryce Salvador, a man of many talents. We know him from his work with MSG, former Devils player, former Devils captain, heavily involved in youth hockey in the area. So an exciting program coming up, Sam. Good to have you, Bryce. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, we're we're in Pittsburgh, by the way, for those who are wondering where we're recording (laughs) this. The Devils, I'm not sure when this will air. It'll air shortly. So the Devils are beginning a road trip. And, you know, there's still some of these covid restrictions in place and so we're all in our rooms but we're probably separated by what 100 feet but we're all staying on the same floor in the pittsburgh hotel but it is good to spend time with you sal i said you know men of many talents and you are and i know you're humble and you'll say ah you know i just do my thing but i'm curious if now more people are recognizing you for your television talent your media talent versus your playing talent as time moves from when you played for the New Jersey Devils last. And I'm wondering what that transition is like. Well, you're exactly right. It's uh, I definitely the, the TV aspect has, you know, made my face pretty recognizable by a lot of people, uh, whether I'm going to the gas stations, you know, things that never happened when I played because when you were wearing a helmet, um, they just didn't recognize me at all. And, and now you know, sometimes, and like I said, I go to the gas station, you know, the tenant's got a stick for me to sign. And, you know, it seems like I'm getting more and more cards uh, that people want me to also sign. So it's been, uh, it's been an interesting transition from that perspective to, to actually have, you know, more people recognize me uh, than when I was playing. We know about the rivalry, of course, between the Devils and the Rangers. I'm curious just to kind of gauge how things may have changed. I know some of the players who preceded you playing for the Devils, including Marty Berdour, with whom you played, would say that, well, when he would pull over at the gas station early on, the attendant would be like, I'm a Ranger fan, but uh, it's nice to meet you. And they would do it in a nice way. I'm wondering if you're getting more fans who are going, hey, I grew up and I watched that 2012 Stanley Cup final, and I love what you brought to the team, and uh, hopefully we'll get back there soon. Or are you still getting more, I'll say, that other team recognition? Oh, for sure. That will always be there. You know, I think when I run into a lot of people and we get talking, whether it be about youth hockey or the Devils or even the Rangers, they're always, you know, now they're kind of apologizing. They're like, hey, sorry, Sal, 
I'm a Rangers fan. Will you please stop <laughs> talk with me? And I'm like, it's okay. It's okay. Um, but yeah, that will never go. Uh, that rivalry is just something that's just ingrained in this culture here. If you, if you're a hockey fan in the tri-state area and it's, uh, and even though I'm retired, I still get worked up for those games and, um, and, and again, you kind of get tied in emotional, uh, especially, you know, when I'm between the benches. So, uh, you know, from the first time I, you know, first game that I was traded here and, and the first time we played the Rangers, you, you could just sense the rivalry inside that locker room. And um, especially when you had guys like Marty in there that had all the history and, 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 and you know, going against the, you know, the King and, and just the rivalry that those two guys had and, um, so, but it was, it was special and pretty cool. And, and, you know, I enjoyed those games. When you talked about getting close to the end, getting near that retirement, at which point did you know that you wanted to get into media, get on television? Because obviously there's a bunch of different routes and a bunch of different avenues and direction you could have taken. Did you know before you retired, that was kind of where you were angling to do, or did it kind of develop after the fact? Yeah, it, that's a funny story. It's actually, I had no, uh, no, I actually would say no desire, even no thought process of actually getting into broadcasting into, into media. And it's just a, just a funny story. It was a circumstance, really. John McClain, uh, I think it was July, uh, ended up getting the assistant coaching job for Arizona and was in this position. It was really like, you know, the, the 11th hour. And, and it just kind of was one of those things where, you know, I think everyone was trying to figure out, like, who could they find to to fill that position. And by then, by this point, I was about a year and a half, two years out of playing and uh, had kind of, you know, got involved with youth hockey. And I was fortunate that when this opportunity came up that it wasn't really much traveling. It was mainly the home games and that's what John was doing. And so uh, it just kind of happened. It fell, you know, kind of really fell into my lap. And, you know, next thing you know, knew it, uh, I was like trying to figure out like where I'm looking. I got people talking in my ears and my earpiece and, you know, you got lights flashing everywhere. What camera one camera two. Um, and so I was, I was green. I was a rookie. I was learning on the fly. I'm still learning to this day. Um, but, uh, you know, I've, I'm really enjoying it. I'm it's settling in and, and, you know, as the years go on, you know, you kind of start to, as you guys know, you kind of start developing your own kind of, flavor and what you like to talk about and, and kind of what you're, you know, what you want to, you know, your personality and, 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 and really what you're trying to, you know, bring the fan along your journey of, right. And, and so I've really enjoyed that and, and just been so fortunate to work with so many great people, you know, from the MSG side, from the devil's side. And uh, so it's been a, it's been a great transition, um, something I never thought that I'd be doing. And, but now I, you know, it's something I've really, love to do and, and continue to work on that craft. You talked about the hard or the difficult transition it is. Is anything really surprised you being on this side as opposed to obviously being in the, the player side, anything that you maybe weren't aware of, didn't realize that, because obviously you've got the hockey knowledge, then yeah. that's the easy part, right? It's the other aspects. Well, yeah, it, it was, what really surprised me is how hard everybody works, right? It's, um, I kind of, thought coming into this everyone would tell me what I needed to say and uh, and you you know the first show was a preseason game against the the Rangers and I'm like well what do you okay like what are we talking about they're like well what do you want to talk about Sal what do you mean like you're not going to tell me like you know what topics you know I got to come up with it and so you know so I was really scrambling for a while because then you know you're trying to think about well 
okay, what do I talk about? What do the fans want to hear? And, and it was a huge learning curve of getting rid of some of the slang, right? For the first, you know, I think season, I would just say PP, PK, right? And, and fans would start saying like, stop saying PP, PK. Like, we don't know what that means, right? Or, you know, and start saying power play, right? And penalty kill. And, and, and then it's still even today is like not using players, you know, nicknames all the time. And I always joke about, it took so long for me to say Andy Green, right? <laughs> He's greener to me, right? You know, Travis Ajak, no, that's TZ, right? And so, you know, so it, it really would stump me, my whole thought process of, okay, what is that player's first name? When you're in that moment and you're getting passionate and there's the energy and you're caught up and, and you're trying to think, oh, uh, oh, it's Andy, Andy Green, right? <laughs> um <laughs> So, so, you know, a lot of the names, even still today, will, will, I'll struggle with just because I just want to call them by their nicknames. Um, so I have to slow down, have to kind of relax and calm myself um, so I don't get talking too fast or, you know, get talking hockey lingo and slang and miss words. And so, so that part is, is always a work in, in progress for me. Uh, Cause I just like to, at times just kind of go with the flow and joke and, 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 and just kind of like get myself back into that locker room mentality. Um, but then you realize, well, if you're communicating that way, a lot of people won't be able to, you know, to follow along. You know, you bring up a good point. Um, and I was alerted to it early in my career when I first started doing some regional work with sports channel, which is a predecessor to MSG, uh, at any rate, Marty Glickman, he was a great broadcaster in New York. He was an Olympian in 1936 uh, because of Berlin and Hitler. He wasn't allowed to run in a race, but he was incredibly gifted uh, as an athlete. At any rate, he told me early on in my career, he said, Matt, don't be too insider because you'll have access and knowledge because it's your love, because it's what you want to do and you're exposed to the sport. In this case, he was talking the NBA, but he said, be careful that you get to inside because people outside don't have that, that insight and you fall back on greener, TZ, PP, things like that, that you were just referring to and people will be lost. So early on, I was taught that obviously early on in your career, you learned that lesson too. the fans telling you that, Hey, you know, we think everybody knows what we know, but we real we realized early on where the conduit to them knowing more. Right. So uh, interesting that you that you would bring that up. I'm wondering, there's something called uh, we'll pull the curtain back here a little bit. Uh, For those who don't know, there's an earpiece that people like Sal and Steve Cancellosi, Ken Danico, Erica Wachter will wear all on air talent. They're called. They're not announcers. It's talent in the business (laughs) will wear. And it's similar but different from the AirPod that I'm wearing now. It enables the producer and the director at times to talk to their people, to tell them anything, inform them of how much time is left in a break or a feature that they're running, et cetera. How are you those first couple of times when you're trying to complete a thought, but your producer, Roland Dratch, is counting you down to either an introduction to some video or counting you down to a break? And if you could just try to tell our listeners how hard that is early on to maintain your focus Make a cogent statement while somebody, and especially Roland with that Fort Lee, New Jersey accent that he's got, barking in your ear, five, four, three. (laughs) What was it like for you? 
it's still is something I can't handle to this day. <laughs> it still messes me up. Can't tell. You can't tell. It, 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 um, you know, and I think that Roland has kind of realized that when I'm talking, he does not talk very often in my ear um, because it, it does throw me off. And uh, it's a kind of a funny story because actually when we started my, my very first show, like I didn't know that was going to happen. Right. So when I'm sitting there, I start hearing five, four, I'm like, I'm thinking like, for what? Like five, four, three. And I'm hearing this and I'm like, like, what am I, like, what is this countdown about? And then, Hey, we're live. And I'm like, where am I looking? Right. And then for people that don't know uh, at home, like each camera has a light above it. So it'll flash red and that's the camera you're supposed to look into. And so we have two cameras and then the camera's light. Well, one, when it's red, I'm looking at this camera. And then when the other camera turns red, you're looking at that one. I, they probably, they probably told me, but I didn't process that. Right. And so the, these red lights are going off and I'm like, what the heck is this? And then the stage, the camera producer guy, the stage hand, he's like waving his hands, trying to tell me which camera to look at. <laughs> I'm looking back and forth and I'm like ready to pull the earpiece out. And I'm like, I'm done. Like, I don't know what I'm talking about, where I'm looking. Guys are talking to my ear. And, uh, and, and then right after that, you know, uh, that preseason game, it was like, wow, a new appreciation for everybody in the business. Right. Um, and you can understand why it's uh, it takes many years to perfect it. Um, and you definitely have to have a passion for it because uh, you can be humbled pretty quick in this business. Well, it's obviously that you uh, obvious that you do have the passion for it. Uh, I, I'm wondering for you making the transition from player to reporter, analyst, member of the media. As you said, it was a couple of years after you had left the dressing room. Look, I know, let's be honest, there's a good relationship for the most part between the media and players. But there are times when things aren't going well and you got to face the music and you don't necessarily like it. I get it because you're being asked questions about why a team is failing or why you're not performing up to your level. So there's a little bit of that separation. Now, and I'm sure when we leave the room, there are some conversations players can you believe that Matt Lachlan what kind of question did that dummy ask me? And, and maybe I'm cleaning it up. My point is now you're coming into the room as a member of that media team where just a couple of years ago, you were saying they don't understand what we're doing. What questions are they asking us? And I know most players have a difficult time crossing that line because it's now different. You're not the player anymore. You've got a different role. What was it like for you? Uh, that's the biggest challenge. And I still also have that for today is like how I, critique you know kindly uh, a player when he's making a mistake um or even how do you ask him about you know a, a period of of hockey where he's struggling um and and so i've been pretty fortunate that my role i'm not doing many interviews and i'm not having to write much content where i'm having to ongoingly ask those tough questions like you two guys have to do and um you know and Erica and 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 Steve Cangelosi, you know, uh Candanical and myself, I think, you know, we we're just more of we can talk about what's happening, um, but rarely do we have to go and and continually ask the players. And and I and I think that I, I'm pretty happy for that because I think it'd be very tough for me to go in and um, and always have to be, you know, especially when we go through a stretch where you're losing six, seven, eight games um, to go in there. And 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 what I do is really try to look at it from the perspective of the player. 
And so when I'm talking about a situation that happens and if it's a, uh, it's a goal against, uh, you know, I really, you know, at times just say, Hey, like, I know what this player is going through. I've been there. I I've made that mistake and, and try to, you know, talk about why it happened. Um, and, and it can be, you know, at times, you know, I, I hope that the players that, you know, when they hear me critique them and stuff like that, that they sense that, right. You know, just coming out here and say like, Oh my God, like, why is this guy doing this? Um, you know, he doesn't know any better, but, but because also mistakes happen all the time in the game, right. Everyone's making mistakes. And, and unfortunately, you know, it's just the time that you may make a mistake is when the puck doesn't go your way and takes a bounce and goes in the net. And that's, everyone's going to realize, oh my gosh, like look at that mistake. But if you really look at that play and you look at plays before, there could have been four, five, six, seven other mistakes and maybe the shot hit the post and didn't go in. So nothing's ever said about it. Um, and so that's why you also, I might say you also and myself, I'm always very, you know, I try to be cautious about really over exaggerating or over emphasizing one single mistake. And, uh, and, and I also try to use the cover of, of, you know, coach rough. And so, you know, if coach rough comes on and says, you know, we had a, you know, Mrs. Simon in front of the net, or if he's talked about a particular player, then I'll say, Hey, like coach rough said, <laughs> um, so, you know, try to get some cover that way. But, uh, uh but I, I try to be fair. Um, and, and definitely when, when they, when players do make great plays, you want to also talk about that. So you just want to make sure you have a, a good balance. And speaking of the team, Bryce, obviously, where do you think the state of the team is right now? Obviously it's last year, they kind of bear down to the bare bones of the prospects this year. We're looking to take that step. A lot of, a lot of great things going on in the off season, bringing in Dougie Hamilton, re-signed uh, Jack Hughes, that long-term deal, but hasn't quite been the season they wanted. I know injuries and COVID have played a huge part of that, but where do you see the team at right now? Well, yeah, you know, it's a great question. And, and I, I look at it in, in two perspectives. If you look at it from a team, you know, overall, you would be disappointed, right? The record, where they are in the Metro division. Um, it's just not where everyone thought we would be with 32 games left in the season. Now, but if you look from an individual perspective, right, the way he sure's had a phenomenal season, Jack Hughes, Right, you you're looking at Bradder. You've seen Severson's recent play. The way you know Gravy's come in, and Sharon Golvich is starting to find his touch again. Right, so if you look at some of these individual uh, performances players are having, you know you can even put Jan uh, at the beginning of the season how hot he started. Um, and so you have to at times like this find the ability to say, okay, what are the positives? Um, because it's for me, it, the former player in me is very difficult to say, well, the season isn't good when, you know, we, you want to put too much on the season not going well when you haven't had your number one A and B tandem in the net for any consistent part of the season, right? I think they've made like 15, 16, 17 games when they both, you know, been on the roster sheet together. So I can't stress enough how difficult that is for a team that's in their current phase of wanting to, you know, play meaningful games down the stretch. You know, you want to get into that learning to win phase. Well, psychologically and subconsciously, if, if you know, and this is not to take anything away from John Gillies and uh, Akira Shmeed and Nico Dawes, those guys have done great jobs, but, you know, they, they're being put in a position where so much is 
you know, put on their shoulders where that they weren't expecting to be in that position. So, um, so, so you really have to look at right now, the individual success that a lot of players are having and really build off of that and just say, Hey, once we can get the goalie situation, you know, settled in here, right. This season would have been completely different. Uh, you know, a lot of the one stat that people use, you know, the analytical uh, minds will be expected goals for expected goals against. And, you know, if, uh, you know, let me just look here. Like if you look at, uh, you know, look at, so I'm looking at the devil. So their expected goals against is ranked 16th in the national hockey league Pittsburgh. Cause I'm doing getting ready for the tomorrow's game. Their expected goals against is 13th in the national hockey league. That's, Pretty, you're, you're being compared expected goals against against Pittsburgh Penguins, but the actual goals against, right? The Devils are ranked 29th in the National Hockey League, and Pittsburgh is ranked fourth. So when you see some of those expected goals for and against, you can say, well, structurally, the Devils are playing really not playing bad. They're not at the bottom of the league. You know, if you look at shot attempts, shots on net, slot shots, inner slot shots, slot passes, ozone possession time. This is the defensive. Right. They're they're above average in almost all those categories in terms of what they're giving up. You know, it's when you unfortunately look between the pipes. Right. You're seeing that they're down at the bottom. Right. And again, that's not to put on any single goalie, but that's just high level. So if structurally, you know, your your system is we'll say is above average both offense and defense, but you're just not actually producing, you know, you look at the special teams over the, you know, since the Christmas break, you know, the, the, since the Christmas break, you know, the power plays eighth best in the national hockey league, the penalty kill second best. So there's another part of the game within inside the game that's strong and you have a lot of players. So, so unfortunately it's been something over the last several seasons, goaltending is just for whatever reason, been Achilles heel to this team. And it's not that obviously general manager Fitzgerald hasn't gone out and tried to address that. It's just, you can't make up this bad luck that this team's had in that position. So um, unfortunately everybody knows it's a cliche, but it starts with goaltending and hopefully, you know, whether Mackenzie Blackwood is able to, to, you know, get back in before the season ends. But that's for me where we really have to solidify, you know, to really get this team as a whole to have a better record. Speaking of that, I mean, you talked about the importance of goaltending. Would it, on one hand, you know, it's hard to, goaltenders not always out there available easily to get. Would it be worth it? Right. It would be worth maybe trying, though, even if it's only a temporary putting a a clog there, like just stopping the leak right now, just, just so that the team gets the good feels, if you will, so that they're not constantly losing. They don't get that that losing mentality, even if it helps them even a little bit, you think that's good for the psychological, I'd say, development of the team and progression? Yeah, I mean, like if, if, if it went out to try to get a, a veteran goalie to kind of help for the remainder of the season? That, right, yeah, yeah. Even, yeah. If, even if it's like an older guy, he might be, even yeah. if it's not a great veteran goaltender, but just something to help a little bit push the, push the envelope forward a little bit. Yeah, I, I would, you know, I don't, I would assume Fitzy's probably exploring those opportunities. I think that a lot of it will depend on how, where Mackenzie Blackwood is, right? And those are conversations that only Fitzgerald and the medical staff and would know. Um, and, and, and I think that, you know, what I can really give a lot of respect to Coach Ruff and Fitzgerald is they're definitely giving, you know, John Gillies and Akira Schmid and Nico Dawes opportunity, 
um, you know, to see what they can do and see if they can, you know, add a spark, um, you know, and over the last little bit, I kind of was even myself changing the narrative and just saying, Hey, like, let's just talk like these guys are your number one goalies instead of, you know, subconsciously already kind of undermining the whole process by, ah, this, you know, John Gilly's just a stopgap. And how long is Akira going to be up? And how long is Nico going to be up? Like as a former player, like, I don't want to hear that. Right. These, this is the guys I have inside the locker room. And so, you know, regardless if they have the resume, right. We've got to have a mindset that we're all pulling the same direction here. And these are our guys. And so, and so, so even for myself, you know, it's John Gillies is our number one goalie, right. Regardless of what he's done in the past, because that's what we have to all start believing and understanding um, so that we can all play at our best. And that's easier said than done. Don't get me. I'm not trying to say, Hey, we just all think this, uh, and it's magically going to happen. But, um, but, but that is, it is a challenge, right. And with 32 games left, I, I would assume that if, you know, things continue, you know, if, if they get off to a rough start here after this, you know, and maybe they're losing some close games or the goaltending isn't there. Yeah. Sam, you, you know, you start to worry about what does that do, you know, to some of the players individually, if, if, you know, if there's a, you know, the goaltending situation, you know, isn't helping the team. You mentioned uh, Nico Heischer there. When the Devils were on that three-game road trip that uh, ended successfully, you know, wins against Montreal and St. Louis, uh, Nico Heischer during that trip after the Ottawa loss said, hey, we're giving a game plan. We don't follow it often enough. And we have guys doing their own thing. If we follow the plan, we are good enough to win games and play better than we're showing. I thought that was a growth process for a young man coming into his own as a captain. Uh, he laid it out publicly. I'm sure previously he had laid it out privately. I would think, Sal, as a former captain uh, of the Devils, you would say that's the way you would do it first, inside, then bring it outside if the message is not being heard. What did you make of what he said, and how much have you seen the role of captain grow on Nico? It's been remarkable and impressive. Like I've really liked the growth that I've seen from Nico this season. And, and it was those three games that for me even really exemplified that he is internally feeling like, Hey, I've got the swagger to carry this team. All right. With Jack Hughes out of the lineup, right. He scored big goals uh, he was making phenomenal plays. He was sacrificing his body. He wasn't looking for excuses and he really, not that, you know, not that he didn't have support, but he also had Dougie Hamilton out of the lineup, right? Like it was on him, right? He scores the goal in Ottawa, right? Power play goal, first goal. Like he's, so those are moments, especially for a captain that, you know, is a forward and needs to produce points and needs to feel like, Hey, I can carry this team you want to see those moments, all right? So that he can also have that swagger inside the locker room that, hey, if this team needs something and I can do it. Um, so I think that was a huge moment for him also in, in personally and development-wise. Um, and, and, and I can only imagine that it would help his confidence. You know, I was in a different situation, you know, you know, I think when I was maybe 12 seasons into my career, I think when I was named captain, um, but I, my role is already defined as a stay at home, gritty defenseman, 
They're not putting me out there on the power play to win the game, you know, except for the 2012 cup run. But um, you were, yeah. you were Bryce or <laughs> yeah. that 2012 run. Yeah. Every, every now and then, you know, a dream can come true, right. <laughs> From that perspective, <laughs> you're an offensive defenseman, you know, for someone who's been uh, a defensive defenseman his whole career, but you know, in all seriousness, like, for me, it was all about, okay, how can I impact the game? Well, a lot of it was killing penalties, being on the ice at the end of the game, protecting leads, you know, being physical, sticking up for teammates, right. And making sure that I was always prepared and, and how I conducted myself, you know, in all areas. So I never had that pressure of also having to produce offensively. And, and so I can only imagine you know, what Nico would be going through in, in moments like that. And, and then over the last couple of years, you know, how he's been able to respond after being injured, right. Is also something, you know, that's impressed me because as a former captain in the last year and a half, like I was injured, um, you know, I had to retire early because of the injuries. And so when you're a captain and you're injured and you're missing games, that is no fun. Right. And so Nico's had a lot of, you know, periods where he's, he's been in, you know, out of the lineup as a captain. So, um, so just how he's handled that and the development I'm seeing in him, you know, the confidence coming and even in his interviews, uh, he's taken more ownership, you know, you're seeing him getting frustrated, uh, you know, one of, you know, we couldn't even air one of his, uh, interviews post game. So, uh, you know, that was just something I would never expected to have happened from Nico. Right. But the fact that it has happened, you're seeing that he cares and he's and he will get frustrated and he genuinely, you know, is starting to say that I bleed devils. Um, and so that, and that's what you want. That's what you want. And, and so I know it's a long uh, winded answer around that, but I'm very passionate about, you know, what we're seeing with Nico. Um, and just because because as you know, general manager Tom Fitzgerald says, guys, like this team is going to win when Nico Bradder, Hughes, and just, you know, there's other guys, but we'll just say those three guys, you know, really take this team under the wing. And we're starting to see that next step. And it's, and it's impressive. Right. So I want to talk about uh, going into analytics a little bit too, because you, you touched on a little bit of the analytics aspects of it, but during the telling of your playing days, were, were analytics, I mean, how much did you pay attention when you were still playing? And then when did you kind of really get involved and immerse and like, the importance of the the way they can show a different aspect of the game thank goodness there was no Corsi when i played like <laughs> right like uh you know i was a big dump the puck off the glass and you know so uh you know that was a, it was hockey was a different style when i played and so i can only imagine the ozone possession time numbers that i would have had and, uh and how many puck touches and all this different stuff and um you know so so i you you see a lot of apprehension from maybe my generation and and older kind of ah what's this analytic stuff and what are these numbers like we didn't need it when we played and um and so i can i can appreciate that point of view as well um but the game has changed and you're seeing and i think the the analytics has more is more useful because because a lot of the players are all on par almost like everyone skates so well, everyone's got so much skill. And I think that as you really start to fine tune, you know, what your team is looking for in terms of the analytics, you can really shape, you know, some of your decisions and some of your draft picks and, and what you're looking for your team, what's your identity, what, what kind of structure, what, who should play with who. 
Um, I'm assuming that, you know, teams, you know, I, I wasn't aware, but did have some kind of form of analytics or they would keep different stats on things that just wasn't, that most people wasn't public. Um, I'm sure that there was, I'm almost positive that, you know, each team would have certain stats now that it's becoming more public and more accessible. Uh, I think it's great. It allows, it gives us all more conversation pieces. Um, but then I've also, I'm also cognizant not to over-focus on the analytics. Um, you know, because as you said, you can say, well, expected goals against the Devils are ranked 16th, you know, so, you know, they're, they're average, but the fact of the matter, they're not keeping the puck out. So, so how long are you going to be satisfied with, Hey, well, this is what expected goals are doing, but you're not getting the results. So, so they provide, you know, some information. Uh, they really help you maybe, maybe fine tune some areas, but at the end of the day, like Nico said, like the players have to perform and, and you can put the best structure out there. You can have the, some of the best analytical analytical numbers, you know, like every, for a while there was like, you know, well, Corsi for like shot attempts and okay, well, it's great that you're putting up a lot of shot attempts, but where are they coming from? Are they all from outside the dot line? Right. So, you, you know, so you have to be careful with the analytical numbers and, and even myself, like I've even at times, you know, put numbers out there or reference numbers. And then, you know, someone will come back and say, well, Sal, there's also B, C, D and E to that A. Right. And you're like, oh, wow, that's interesting. Right. Because even even when I see numbers, I don't always know how the devil's team is using those numbers and how deep they're going with the numbers in different directions. And, uh, you know, and in case in point would be, you know, when the devil's power play was really struggling there for a stretch before it really clicked, you know, there was a stat that, you know, the devil's, you know, their ozone entry with possession was like second best in the league. And so it's a mis, you know, it can be a misleading stat if you don't look at what's B, C, and D, and those would be okay. Well, if they're entering the offensive zone with puck possession, well, then we got to really see what's the next play. Oh, they're turning it over, right? So it's all fine and dandy. You're getting into the offensive zone, but if you're not connecting on your passes, right, it doesn't matter about your entries. Um, so, so then, you know, even for myself, it, it helps me become more of a student of the game, right? And understanding some of the processes, especially offensively. Right. I was the, I'm a defensive minded guy. Right. And so when I started looking at some of the offensive trends and numbers and stuff like that, it, it's actually helping me understand the offensive side of the game better. Um, and, and so, but yeah, it, I think it, I, I like it. I like the analytical part of the game. That's where I'm kind of growing my knowledge base and what I like to talk about. And, you know, it's a, it's been a, an interesting challenge to kind of, take some of these advanced analytical numbers, bring them onto the telecast, try to communicate them all in 10, 15 seconds. Right. And, <laughs> and try to not get, you know, try to not to fumble what I'm trying to say and, and trying to articulate it and, you know, and, and really just trying to go along with that evolution, because as you're going to, everyone knows we're going to start to see the kids are wearing or sort of the players are wearing sensors, you know, so we're starting to get more of their actual ice time where they are you can start tracking where the puck is and and so that's all going to be great and um and so i'm just you know from my position with msg and the devils to be able to 
slowly understand the analytical part is is something that I'm very passionate about. And when you use those analytics, if there's ever times where you read an analytic number like, oh, I hadn't noticed that. And then you start to pay attention and notice it or vice versa too. Do you notice something like, oh man, I'm noticing they're winning a lot of draws on the left side of the D zone and then go and have the analytics almost back up what you're kind of seeing is they ever surprised you in that sense? Yeah, actually there's, there's a, there's a lot of numbers that can surprise you and, and actually debunk your thought process, right? Like sometimes I'll be like, okay, I'm going to talk about this. And then you're like, Oh shoot, the numbers aren't supporting what I saw. Right. So, so from that perspective, I found it really interesting one where both ways, right. Where it can really, you know, either prove your, what you're seeing or sometimes make you, you know, think, wow, I don't, I don't, I don't understand that part of the game. Like, um, but, but at the end of the day, I think instinctually you still go with your gut, right. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, unless you really have the back end office that the devils have where they're really tracking everything um, where they can know which player should play with each player in certain situations, who should take face offs and all that. Um, you still have to just go out and play. Right. And, and it comes down to your instinctual reads and, and how quickly you can process a pattern that's coming up frequently um, you can give me all the analytical numbers that you want about Sidney Crosby, but unless you've played against him a hundred times or 300 times, you're not beating him in the face-off circle consistently, right? You're not stopping him on a one-on-one if I haven't studied his tendencies, right? You can say, oh, 10% of the times he's doing this or that. Okay, that's great, but I better read the cues, right? Or else I'm going to get exposed. Um, so, so all the, the video and the analytical numbers Stuff is great. It helps to inform the players and the coaching staffs. Um, and what ends up separating the top teams from the bottom teams, in my opinion, is really the implementation, the execution of the players, which many times can go beyond the X's and O's. It can go into how are the guys feeling inside the locker room? Are they confident? Are they not confident? Look at the Montreal Canadiens. You remove a couple pieces. Right. You know, if people weren't watching hockey, they'd know you would, you know, people would not believe that Montreal Canadiens, you know, were in the Stanley Cup finals. Right. But just how things that have at times nothing to do with the game and the analytical part of the game can disrupt so much. Um, it, it's swagger. I say hockey is the ultimate wolf pack sport. And what I mean by that, like, you, you know, you can, a great example is Marty St. Louis when, you know, uh, you know, with all due respect when his, when his mom passed away, right. He went, came and when he was with the Rangers and scored the next goal, right. It just, I knew at that point that the Rangers were going to win, right. Because that emotionally moment, if I was in that locker room would carry me. Right. So, so it didn't, it didn't matter what X's and O's you had. didn't matter what systems you wanted. If you can get that locker room to buy into your narrative, right. And your emotional impact and you, you have a strong leader and the message coming from the coaching, right. That effort and the commitment and to play for each other, each other can overcome a lot of the mistakes and some of these analytical numbers It can overcome guys, you know, we'll say, you know, not superior goaltending, you know, it can overcome, you know, guys not scoring goals, going to droughts. So that's the intangible, the X factor that you a player will always say, you can't track. That's what I love about sports. It's people 
battling against each other and the human spirit will carry certain individuals at certain times to victories and successes that normally they wouldn't have. That's why upsets occur. Uh, it's the human spirit that that is uh, vital to sports. So you're right. So Marty St. Louis scores a goal and everybody goes, hey, let's go, boys. It's it's on. <laughs> it's on. We got it tonight. There's no question about it. You know, I was watching only a little bit. I'll be honest. I did not watch much of the Olympics. Yeah. And there was a big kerfuffle made over women's figure skating and a 15-year-old who had tested uh, positive for a banned substance, but she was allowed to continue. And I don't have all the details, but that's the basic story. And it was a big, like, what are we doing here? And then she doesn't win. She finishes fourth. She was a favorite going in. And there's video of her coach, like, screaming at her. And it brought to the surface all this, what are we doing with young athletes anymore? And what's happening? Which all leads me to, Sal, your involvement in youth hockey. Uh, and I know there was a, an incident that you chronicled on your Twitter account while you were coaching not too long ago. And like what's happening in youth athletics and it's wonderful in so many ways, but there is that extreme that causes pause in, in our thinking about what we're doing here with young athletes. Kind of, that's, that's kind of the 30,000 point yeah. view. What's going on on the ground behind the bench where you are working with these young players? Oh, wow. So this is a three hour podcast. podcast now. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's a, uh, it's been a, an interesting, I guess now it's been five years that I've been involved in, in youth, in youth sports. And, you know, I preface it that I, I love working with kids and, and, you know, being a mentor and, and, and that aspects and all the, all the ups and downs that come with that. And, and, you know, it's, it's, I put a lot of the, the blame on really the adults, um, you know, and I include myself in that, right. You know, when I first started, you get really caught up in, uh, you know, even your ego and you want to, you know, you want to win and you want to win at all costs. And, um, and, and you start to get to a point where you start forgetting that, you know, these are kids, um, you know, that they're really trying to enjoy the game and they just want to be around their teammates and they don't want all the stress and pressure and, um, you know, and, and, and then it's the parents that are really wanting the results, um, and, and once you are able to kind of understand that, especially if you're a coaching figure and be able to, you know, work with the parents and the kids and, and walk them through a process of, you know, that it's not a, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon and try to get them to understand that, you know, depending on how old your kid is, nobody's watching him or her. Right. They're not being scouted. Um, and, and, and if we can all just, take pause and relax and, and have awareness of the moment and the situation that we're in, you know, you know, maybe we're not going to be putting kids in, in bad situations or, you know, or, or having them, you know, have mental, you know, fatigue, you know, on all different levels. Um, and, and so, and so hockey, you know, sport hockey is, is wonderful for kids and, 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 you know, so you just have to be, what I've seen now really careful was just based on the age group that you're working with, how you're managing them. Um, and, 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 you know, and I know what I documented and some people were saying, well, geez, you know, it's hockey and they got to be tough and, you know, kids get hurt all the time. Um, you know, why are you not playing? And, and so, and they're not wrong with that thought process. Um, but these kids aren't midget. They're not, 
you know, they're not junior players. They're not, you know, trying, you know, they're still young and something in my situation, you know, at this time, they're not even hitting puberty. Right. And so, and so we have to, in that, in that situation, I feel like you have to protect those kids, right. They got a long life ahead of them and, and we just can't run them into the ground in a situation that could be dangerous. Now, you know, blocking shots and, you know, aches and bruises, you know, not saying kids don't play through that, but if kids are, you know, being taken off on stretchers, um, you, you have to understand, which is not something that we really teach as a culture or in, 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 the, in the, in the coaching culture is uh, our community would be the, the emotional and mental impact that, that players have. Um, and, you know, and so I really reflected a lot back of myself, you know, I always go, okay, well, geez, even when I, in the, in the NHL would see a teammate get hurt, uh, that it would shake me up. Right. So here I am a grown adult, right. At I takes me moments to, you know, reestablish my focus and the only way that I'm able to do that is because I'm a professional athlete and this is a job for me. Like I need to perform. Right. So, and I understand that's part of the business, but when you are, you know, dealing with an eight, nine, 10 year old, right. You, you, we have to understand that these are two different ecosystems or two different environments um, and, and make sure that more kids are having fun playing the game and we're not putting them in, in, in tough situations. But um and yeah, and, and, and I've just kind of go on, you, you see a lot of parallels, um, even from professional, you know, even though I'm saying, Hey, those, you know, we're trying to separate the professional uh, part of the game or the environment from youth hockey, but you do see, you know, I, I coach boys. And so I, I can't, you know, comment on girls culture and stuff like that, but you, you really start to see that, wow, there's a lot of alpha type A personalities already at 10, 11, 12. And, and the, you know, and so when you have a team that has a lot of strong players, you know, you have to then understand how to, how to help them develop and understand, well, Hey, this player may score goals and you may not. And, and walk them through some of that process uh, or, Hey, you may, you know, kids even at this age that are used to scoring lots of goals when they don't score goals for three, four five games, Right. They it's like in the NHL when a guy's going through a scoring drug, you know, you really have to understand all those dynamics. And so that's been probably the most surprising is is, you know, seeing those tendencies and those emotional uh, situations, good and bad, um, that are in uh, the young levels. Like I can I'll watch goalies. Right. That are 10, 11 years old. And I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. Like. He's preparing, like he he's acting like he's an NHL goalie, you know, how he's touching the post, how he's coming out, you know, how he's, you know, rocking and stuff like that. Right. And then you'll look at other goalies and you're like, oh, that guy doesn't got it. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, like, so, um, so I find that pretty fascinating. Um, I'm in an interesting phase where the coach, the team I coach is now transitioning into contact. Um, and so now it starts to get real. So, so I'm pretty interested to, you know, be part of that process and, 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 and understand how, you know, to make most of these kids feel comfortable during this transition. Cause this is a very, uh, 
important phase in their hockey careers because it's you know it, it, what they say in youth hockey is like this is the age where you you see if the, if the kid really wants to play you know he's going to get run over and really does he want to get up and still play right <laughs> does he come to the bench and say i'm done which which happens mm-hmm. um so so it's it you know it's, it's a it's an important phase where you know i gotta you know respect that and make sure that you can safely bring all these kids along and make sure that they enjoy the game and be prepared to you know, to take the next step. Well, it's been a historic season for the Devils as they released their first alternate third jersey early in the year. And then obviously with the different nights going around, whether it's uh, Hispanic Heritage Night or Inclusivity Night, there's been a lot of nights where they've tried to honor different factions of, of life and people and culture. And of course, this month being Black History, they have another jersey. And Bryce, you have quite an appearance on it. So I want to get your take on what you think of the jersey that is going to be auctioned off after the game against the Vancouver Canucks and with those proceeds obviously going to the Devils Youth Foundation as well as P.K. Subban's foundation. Yeah, it was uh, quite quite a humbling uh, moment and and quite the honor when when I was shown, you know, the artwork uh, that, you know, P.K. has been working on and, and to see that, you know, I was on it and, and, uh, you know, a big focal point of it, uh, like I said, it just, uh, it kind of just made me take a, a moment of pause and just kind of realize like, wow, like, you know, I, I was the third black captain in the history of the National Hockey League behind Dirk Graham and Jerome McGinley. And, and people always ask me, like, well, you know, what, what did you think about that? And, and quite honestly, I hadn't even really thought about it, yeah, that I was, you know, the third black captain when that happened and, and, and it, I did the, probably went weeks. Like I can't even remember the moment when I actually thought about, you know, how significant that moment was. Um, and, and, and quite the honor from, from that perspective. And, um, and then, you know, you start having, you know, kids, you know, that, you know, look up to me and, you know, from different communities and, you know, really like resonating with that and seeing like, oh, wow, like, you know, Bryce is a captain and, you know, so if he's a captain, I could be a captain. And, um, and so when you start seeing more and more kids, uh, especially of color, like resonate with that fact and bring that up and look up to you, you know, then you start to understand the importance and significance of that. And, and, and it also then, you know, when that started happening and I started understanding the significance more of that, it started, you know, making me really think back and, and pay homage to like, wow, guys like Willie O'Ree, you know, what they went through and the doors that they opened and paved the pathway for so many players to to come, you know, behind him. Um, you know, it, it took a moment, like, you know, people coming to me after I was named the captain and how it affected them and, and what it did to them for me to kind of like, holy cow, like, wow, right, you know, reflect back on all, you know, the heritage of, of the game. And, and, and so, um, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a cool Jersey, you know, um, the crest there. And, you know, I don't want to talk about much about it until it comes out. Um, but yeah, but, you know, PKs, you know, was behind a lot of this. Um, and, uh, you know, I looked to, I haven't, I was supposed to actually do something with PK talk about it. Uh, that didn't happen. Uh, before this road trip to Pittsburgh. So a little upset about that. Couldn't make it work, but I definitely, uh, you know, on an off day, I want to talk to PK about it and kind of get more of his thought process behind it and, 
and the catalyst and, and you know, what sparked it and, you know, and, and PK's been, been such a, you know, obviously with his platform been, you know, very vocal and, you know, uh, you know, really paving also a path, you know, for, you know, for diversity and growing the game. And, you know, he's a big proponent for that and he's done such tremendous work and, and and so when you see guys like PK, you know, using his platform for things like that, it's 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 great to see. It does so much to grow the game, and 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 I always go back to you know also, you know, really paying respects to the NHL. Like over the last, you know, you can say ten years, you know, maybe some will say more, but but just there's been a really conservative effort to grow the game and 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 really bring awareness to. You know, just just not kids of color, but you know, bringing girls into the game and and different genders and different cultures and, and really growing the fan base and and you can you know you could easily make an argument, you know, that the game has grown and it is reaching into so many more communities uh, and you're getting different fans and not that maybe every kid will play the game, um, and so so the NHL has done a great job of you know making it also safe for for all these conversations to happen and i've always been a you know big believer that you'll start to see change when the nhl you know is takes authority right and starts you know really recognizing what's been done you know and what a phenomenal job they've done with willie o'ree now over many many years um and and and, and people say well you know, sal it, it there's so much work to be done and it's not fast enough. And, you know, we need to do ABCD and, and, you know, and then I just go back and say like, you know, when I started in 2000, if you would have told me Snoop Dogg would be doing an all-star game in LA, I would have said you, you know, you're, you're crazy. Right. I've seen that happen. Right. And you continue to see uh, the culture grow. Um, you know, in St. Louis, I always tell the story. Yeah. I was allowed to, you know, I, was able to control some music sometimes in my rookie season. I'd have one, my one song would be hip hop song. All right. And everybody would leave the room. Right. And then as the years went on, everybody's listening to hip hop. Right. And so, so for me, I've seen tremendous progress. Right. And yes, it's been 20 plus years. Um, and yes, it isn't fast enough. And yes, there needs to be more work. Um, but this work will never be done. Right. And it'll it's always going to go on. Um, so I always try to put that perspective out there, too. We brought up Willie O'Ree and, and you mentioned that you being the third black captain, how other kids see it and they say, hey, I can be that, too. And you mentioned representation matters. So I just want to ask you, who were some of the black players you looked up to when you were younger and, and you saw them? playing you're like oh I want to be the next whoever it was and who are some of those guys that you kind of idolized when you were younger well it was really one guy and it was Grant Fuhrer you know and it's um he he happened to be on my favorite team the Edmonton Oilers and and back in the 80s obviously everyone knows how successful that team was and to see you know Grant Fuhrer have success and playing in the National Hockey League and be biracial like I am and and really look like me um, you know, I had a big fro back then too. And, um, and, you know, growing up in Brandon, Manitoba. And so seeing that really kind of, wow, like really opened my eyes. Um, so that was really, you know, Grant Fuhrer to this day, right. Is, is, is a special person to me because of that. 
Um, and, and believe it or not, like Jerome, again, and myself, we don't really have much interaction um, outside of the game when we, we played a lot against each other, but he was the first, you know, biracial player like that looked like me um, that I faced in juniors um, in the WHL. And I was like, like, wow, there's, you know, it's, you know, this was, it was awesome. Right. And, and not that anything ever needed to be say, said, but there was just, we could, at least I could just sense for him that he could relate to me. Right. And, and so that just gets back to, you know, the representation and when you're trying to grow something and you're trying to include uh, all different cultures, it, that does really make a difference when there is inclusion and there is people that everybody can relate to, you know, beyond just the, you know, the color of your skin and, and the language you speak, like you need to have that comfort um, that you feel like, Hey, you, you, you are accepted and you are included. And, and again, like it's, uh, to see, you know, the tremendous progress, you know, that the game is done and all the different programs and all the different, you know, initiatives is remarkable. Well, no better point at which to end our conversation uh, than there, Sal. Thank you so much for your time. It's been a wonderful journey of the 45 minutes or more that we spent with you. I didn't think we'd have that much, but uh, the stories were great. The insights were fabulous, and we thank you for sharing them with us. Well, thanks again for having me, guys. Hopefully we get two wins on the road here. <laughs> From your <laughs> lips to God's ears, as my mother used to say. At any rate, on that note, We'll wrap things up on this edition of Speak of the Devils. Uh, Sam, it was a joy spending time with you and with Sal. I know our listeners enjoyed the conversation as well. And to you, our listeners, thanks very much for your company. It's really important. It's much appreciated. And we thank you for sharing your time, really sharing your time, and allowing us to uh, come into your living rooms, uh, your cars, wherever you're listening to the podcast. At any rate, on that note, thanks very much again. Until next time, be safe, be well. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye.